Okay, we are recording. So thank you for doing this with me, Lacey. Um, I'm excited to get to chat with you and really, um, you know, we know each other, I guess I'll give background for other people listening. We know each other through Sean's um, Money Mind Academy and I've always really appreciated your shares in there and your insights and I know- oh, Thank you. So much like valuable experience to share that I'm excited to dig in. So do you wanna give a, a little self introduction? Well, my name is Lacey Hurt. Um, professionally, I work at an accounting firm and I own Laced CBD, which is a skincare line specifically for people with um, sensitive skin and skin allergies. And then I'm kind of the mom of my friend group. And I've always seemed to got, I, I always seem to have sort of the right thing to say to help people through stuff because I have been you know, um, on this path of self-development and growth for the last, gosh, half my life, but really seriously for the last couple years, um, I worked way too much and kind of lost, lost touch with myself. And so I've just been learning how to reconnect and go forward. And it's been a really great journey. Yeah. You know, I, when you said that, you're like the mom of your friend group. I was like, oh my gosh, I can see that. <laughs> you do always have like the right thing to say. So, and, and that's why I look forward to it when you speak up. I'm like, oh, Lisa's going to drop some knowledge. <laughs> We're gonna oh gosh, well, thank you. Well, that means a lot. But that, I mean, honestly, that's how I feel about you as well. Uh, thank, you. So, thank you. It's kind of funny when, when you have the friend group like we do in Money Mind Academy and with Book Club, I, it's, it's crazy how many people I have talked to from there that say they have these insecurities about speaking up. Mm -hmm. You, like, I find myself seeing those people when they do speak up and, and saying, wow, I really needed to hear that. They're so smart. They're so brilliant. And it's just funny to me that we have the ability to inspire people, but don't always recognize that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. which is like I think that the community is so powerful because it's a space to where it's sort of expected you know we, we're coming together for some yeah. sort of assistance or learning and then people get to reflect that back to us and we go oh wow really whereas in like the everyday like in the workplace or um, just out and about there's not as much of that openness because we're also like I'm here I'm doing my thing I'm going along and then yeah. we don't speak up so this place to practice has been really powerful for me and I agree I, I know um, I think it was the first week or second week that we were on a community call and I had said that at one point in my life kind of started or stopped speaking up because I felt like I had nothing important to say and deep down I knew that wasn't true but the way that people uh, would interrupt it, it would make me feel like the things I had to say weren't important or they didn't care about them and so I kind of conditioned myself to not speak up because I was like well I was just I'm just going to get interrupted anyway so it doesn't matter and then it kind of created this belief that 
nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. So yeah, so working through that and, and hearing from, you know, Sean and all of you that you have to speak up and, and just getting that practice in, in saying what I, I want to say or have to say, you know, I, I found that being vulnerable with people really opened up um, my heart and my mind to speak more because especially on like Instagram, I consider Instagram to be, to be kind of like my, my living diary where I'll, I'll post something and then kind of talk about my thoughts on whatever I'm feeling. And I get so many private messages saying, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for speaking up. I re resonate with that. And so it, it's been a really positive way for me to say what I I'm feeling and then have other people kind of relate to that and, and maybe can same their themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is powerful. Um, I got so distracted by your cat. That was so cute. Um, but I totally hear I what you can't saying. handle the fact that I'm in, in here. I don't know if you could see him putting paws through. Here. No, 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 no. I couldn't see that. I just saw him like up the, the curtain. Um, <laughs> adorable. I love cats. Um, you mentioned getting interrupted and that being sort of like a place where you sort of thinking, okay, well, what I have to say isn't important. Did, did you find that in a certain area of your life that it happened more or was it kind of just in life in general? And I'm a little concerned you froze. Are you there? Okay, we might have some technical difficulties. So, see if you come back in or if it's my internet. I'm gonna stop my video and see. Okay, I'll give it a moment. All right, should probably come back in. This is gonna come out interesting as a raw conversation if I don't edit this. So if you're watching, this is life, you know? This is life, tech difficulties and Zoom meetings. This is the life of 2020 and here we are in 2021 um, in a very, similar space, things changing outside in the world. Um, but I don't know about you guys, but my personal experience of daily life has not changed a whole lot with the new year. All right, we got Lacey coming back in. Hi. All right, connecting to audio, so. comes in. Sorry, I was so afraid that would happen. It's all right. Tech difficulties, you know, this is life. <laughs> this is the Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. Well, I'm glad you're back. I had a little monologue. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> Sorry. And, no, 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 you're fine. Did the did you lose connection? I must have. I, I just called in on my phone so that I could use um, cellular instead, and that way we won't have to worry about it. Ah, okay, got it. Well, so we were talking about. Oh, I was curious where that experience came from. If there's a certain area of your life, and I asked because for me, I noticed in. Uh, my job and my corporate career that was very male dominated I felt spoken over all the time you know and in family um, but really when I moved away and I was here in California and working it was like everybody else had a, a voice that was louder and bigger than mine so I just would not especially because for me I tend to be like an observer and mm-hmm. a thinker and so I'm not the quickest to vocalize often. And do, do, does any of that resonate for you or where? It definitely does. You know, I haven't really thought about where that comes from. And I think there is a part of it that, that comes from childhood and just being told you're a kid, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then also just growing up super shy um I remember getting my first job at 16 and I was so shy I worked at Best Buy where you have to talk to people and I I was so shy that I I would have to tell myself okay I'm gonna see if this guy needs help one two three hi are you finding everything okay okay great and then I would just run away and so it was through practice of continually having to talk to people that I got better at it And, and it's funny now because well, actually my whole life, I've always liked to speak sort of in a public setting. Um, I think motivational speaker would be a dream job for me, but yeah. you know, so it's funny that on one hand, I've always, oh, I've always liked doing that, but at the same time, you know, having that shyness when it comes to your personal life is such a, I don't know, such a contrast, but yeah, I can't think of any specific reasons why I had felt that way. I just, it was just part of who I was and trying to work through that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you'd be a fantastic motivational speaker and you work oh, thank through you. it so, so well. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Totally. It's, it's been a work in progress for sure. But it just reminds me of that, like a little, little by little, a little becomes a lot and just oh, doing yes. it is the practice. I feel that way every time I raise my hand in one of the groups, I'm like, okay, I'm going to say this now. And I say it and I think it comes out. Okay. But sometimes I don't even know. (laughs) I'm like, Oh gosh, you're always dropping wisdom in there. I love when you speak. Thank you. So it's funny to me to hear that from you thinking about you possibly questioning what, you know, what you're going to say or whether you should say it because I'm always considered you to oh wow this is great Rachel's gonna talk (laughs) yeah yeah likewise I think that's such a reminder that it's a it's really human and that we don't know what's going on beneath the surface of other people it's so easy to assume that they've just got it together and they've always been this way they've always been polished or perfect or really secure in what they're saying or successful We don't see the behind the scenes, especially with like social media. Um, Oh, absolutely. And that's why I enjoy sharing on there. And, you know, just being like, okay, this is real. 
this is what it is because I've often felt so bad scrolling through social media, Mm -hmm. even, even from people who mean well and want to be motivational, you know, because there isn't that vulnerable, vulnerable side. There isn't that real side. It's just like, everything is sunshines and rainbows. And if you just say your affirmations, you'll be totally fine. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, yeah. I'm with you. Cause I've got some, like, I've got some voices in here and I've got doubt and some darkness and I've got like, yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And that is one thing that, you know, I don't think we really consider in this society and, and is maybe so taboo still is that it's okay to not be okay. Like we are so used to having to put on a front and a strong face and how many quote motivational memes have you seen that are just like, put up your hair and deal with it. Well, you know, you don't always have to do that. And as you were, you and I were talking in book club that one day, um, was that in goals? Like the first chapter of goals by Brian Tracy? I... I think it was so where he was saying that you have to take responsibility for your life, which I totally agree with. But then he was saying, forget about all of the stuff that's happened in the past and make yourself so busy that you don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And that's where you and I were kind of taking a step back and going, ah, maybe not just get so busy. You don't think about it. There's definitely a processing in there that, that needs to take place in order for you to move on in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I just flipped back because I wrote, I highlighted that part or underlined it. I'm not a highlighter. And I just wrote too simplistic. Like this is not, this is, this is too just like cut and dry. There's so much more at play in like the emotional space. It's reminds me, it's like very like masculine still just like, you just do it. You just do it. You just get busy. You just start going. Mm-hmm. And yes to taking responsibility, but there's like something else we're meant to take responsibility for. And yeah. I, and I think that that is where like we're really missing things as a as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, we talked about wanting to talk about grief. I think there's a grief in that space that just like doesn't get talked about. Absolutely. Um, I actually took our conversation to um, my better help counselor and her and I were also discussing how it is such a topic of conversation that people avoid because it's so uncomfortable. And my hope is that by talking about it, it kind of normalizes it so that people can be okay with not being okay and being honest about when they're sad or, you know, just feeling uncomfortable. And I think also recognizing that grief comes from a lot of different places instead of a a lot of, um, a lot of people think that it's just from death, but I mean, you can grieve, for example, if you're growing, And as far as personal growth and, you know, finding things out in your life that you really connect with and feeling great, there can still be a grieving process there for the time you spent not feeling that way or for your hurt inner child, you know, 
relationships that you lose, even friendships, you know, it could just be such a wide variety of places that this feeling comes from. And I think that we really need to start talking about it. Yes, 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 yes. So many of those things I can, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm like, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I've got that (laughs) one. Yeah, I've been through that. And I've largely carried it around unprocessed and unacknowledged. And that's where I think with the death of my dad, with my cancer, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm really understanding grief because that is one of the ways that we really do recognize grief. And then seeing all the other places where grief has come in and I've just powered through it because that's what you do. Because you you just got busy and moved on with it. Yeah, you've got to. Like life is happening, life's going on. And um, as long as we uh, just keep powering through, I feel like that's that's what's filling up the the baggage that gets talked about that we're we're dragging around and um, making it known is powerful. I, I think especially too going back to like social media and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You, know, you spoke about um, in personal development, mourning that time where we weren't that person that we've seen that we could be. We have all yeah. opportunities now that are so much clearer as to what we could be it, in my experience can get really overwhelming. And it's like, well, once there's a choice made now, there's so, I feel like there's more I have to mourn than maybe there once was in the way that we lived more isolated, small, I don't want to say small lives, but our circle was small. Our realm of like possibility was small. The world was just, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a smaller place when our grandparents we're making life decisions and growing up than they are when you're sure. connected through the internet and social media. So the grief load, I feel like has grown as much as um, our sense of the world has. Yeah, that's a really, really great way to put that. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right with having the whole world at our fingertips. We see all the different things that people are doing in the way that they're celebrating life and especially where people tend to put out only the positive aspects of it. And then we just by human nature, we make comparisons and then we feel like we're not stacking up to that level of what other people are doing. Um, so yeah, there, there would be grief involved with that. Yeah. Okay. So we've established there's, <laughs> there's grief. We are good. Yeah. How, how have you, I'm really curious about this part. How, how have you dealt with it? Because this is what I'm, you know, discovering and, and wanting to move through. And I, I recognize that I have grief over what I have lost. And mm-hmm. especially in this pandemic style world, how, how do I, how do I metabolize it? How do I stop carrying well, it around? Honestly, I started out my life not processing it in a great way. I had my best friend um, who I, he and I were actually very in love with each other. He, it was one of those situations where we grew up together, best friends, fell in love, but one of us always had a partner, so it just never worked out. He did two tours in Iraq and him being over there made me realize that wow, this is a person that if something happened to him, it would 
it would really pain me. He made it back. As soon as he got back to the States, he said, Hey, I want to start a life with you. And I was like, I, well, absolutely. There's no question in my mind. And then he was killed by a drunk driver a week later. So I obviously did not take that well. And it was very hard for me to even know what to do with that. Um, because, you know, sudden accidents and loss are just so incredibly traumatizing. I did not sleep for a year. It was only when my brain shut off to where I would take micro naps. I still had to go to work and then I would just come home and I was so devastated that I would just lay on the couch and, you know, quote, watch TV, but really just zone out and not know what to do with myself. And, you know, eventually I started sleeping, but I think after that point, I really just tried to keep myself busy because as much as they say time heals all wounds, the thing that people tell you or never tell you is that deep wounds still leave a scar. So I grieved that. Honestly, I wasn't really okay with it until 14 years later, which is a very long time. I tried to move on with my life and I had other relationships after that, but I found myself comparing my new partners to the one that I lost. And of course that's not healthy. And I threw myself into work and I just stayed busy. And, um, you know, I, I would say that I had that mentality of just throwing myself into work to not deal with grief or the things that were going on in my life that I was uncomfortable with. And I just worked and worked and worked. I had at one point five jobs all at one time. So, you know, I didn't have time to sit with myself and my feelings. There was no quiet time. It was always being busy. And I actually gave myself an autoimmune disease because I had burned myself out and worked so many hours and lost so much sleep that my body got sick. And so I had to start learning how to slow down. And then of course, there's another grieving process with, I don't have my old life where I could do whatever I wanted anymore. And that was really hard for me. And I, I won't lie. I went through a lot of times where I had really great depression and back into uh, 2016, I was so depressed that I actually started considering suicide as an option. And it was bad enough to where I started reaching out to friends and telling them that's how I felt. Hey, I'm so depressed. I need help. I'm really considering suicide. And people don't know what to do with that information. Mm. You know, so that's another part of it. What can you give an example of like how you were met and, and maybe how you would have wanted to have been met or what you think is a way I'd love to hear from someone who's been there, you know, how do you meet someone who comes to you with information like that? What's the wrong well, For me, when I would tell my friends, I'm really depressed, I'm considering suicide. A lot of times I got laughter because they thought I was joking um, or just the awkward silence. And, you know, honestly, the, the reason that I 
kind of snapped out of it and realized that I needed to make a change was I had the one friend that I had told and he said to me, why would you ever do that? You can't destroy energy. You can only change it. So whatever you're feeling right now, you can't destroy it by taking that action. You're only going to transmute it into another form of energy and still feel the same way. And that hit me on such a like quantum physics level. And I don't know why that was the thing that appealed to me, but I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. But as far as if you were dealing with someone coming to you, um, telling you that that's how they're feeling, of course, always take it seriously. And for me, when people have come to me with those feelings, I make sure to continually check on them because you know how, how professionals and, and those memes online will say, um, just reach out. Mm-hmm. When you're depressed, just reaching out is the hardest thing to do because you feel like a burden to other people. Mm-hmm. So meeting that with compassion and offering to check on your friends and I mean, definitely helping them get professional help because while I think that um, mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Sometimes those people are not always able to help themselves. So getting, getting them to a place and, and maybe like, Hey, sign up for better help. Or, you know, maybe we could go for a walk and just talking, just listening and showing someone that you care about them and reminding them that they're not a burden probably one of the strongest things you can do because you can't fix somebody. They're going to have to go through that journey themselves, Mm -hmm. but really showing someone that they are loved is, is a great way to help. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Validate, validate first. Not, um, I think you hear people who have lost people to suicide say like, I just never would have thought from them you know, they seem, they seem so happy. They seem fine. So for, to come out and say like, oh, actually I'm feeling this way, maybe such a shock to people that they can't believe it, but withholding reservation and trusting that that person means it is really important. I feel like that's true. So many emotional, um, revelations that people will have with us, you know, when we, when people trust us, with their intimacy or when we trust someone else, you know, it hurts to be met with like disbelief or Mm -hmm. invalidation or quick fix. Um, Absolutely. I think that's really, that was a really beautiful point that you made there about um, just being acknowledged and acknowledging people when they're there asking for help And as someone who's been depressed, I am not good at reaching out when I'm in that space. I'll know what I need, but I I feel like a burden. I really feel like a burden. And that just having other people there, that sense of connection is like a, I feel like a tether to like, okay, yeah, I'm here. People know I'm here and Mm -hmm. I do actually matter. Like it matters. Yeah. I think recognizing uh, everyone has a pattern and paying attention to those patterns. Um, for example, if your friend texts you every morning at eight 30, or if you know that they go for a walk at a certain time and you start seeing them break those patterns, 
that is a great opportunity to start checking in on someone and just, you know, it, it may just be that, you know, they're breaking their patterns, but it also could be that something's going on. And I, I do that with my friends and I'll say, Hey, um, noticed you didn't call me at this time or is everything okay? Or what I do with uh, my best friend is every morning I, I message her, ask her if she wants to have a call because she's been going through some stuff in her life for the last couple months um, with a relationship. And so I just make sure to check on her in the morning and at night, see if she wants to have a phone call. And at first she was really resistant to the phone calls. And then once she started realizing it helped to talk about it, she now looks forward to those. And some days she doesn't need a phone call and that's totally fine. Um, Or she's busy, but I at least know that I'm checking in with someone that I really care about and I'm taking the time to give them an opportunity to talk and get their feelings out. And I know the way I work is that when I talk about things, sometimes I just need to talk about the same thing over and over and over, but that's how I sort it out in my head. And really it's just another person there to kind of listen to it. If they have insight, great. If not, sometimes I just need to be listened to. Mm-hmm. Oh, that externalizing it is so mm-hmm. important. I can live so up here and my head and it's, it's different. You know, I've been doing this podcast as like a way to externalize some of my thoughts. Um, but having another person there to have, to just feel it, take it, and maybe not even offer advice is like another level of energetic release. You mentioned your friend saying that that energy that's there, it can't be destroyed energy mm-hmm. can only be transformed and that really having an impact on you. Can you talk mm-hmm. more about that? Um, what in that moment, that energetic, that statement about energy, like how did you then see yourself taking that energy in your life? You know, like this might it, sound a little cheesy, but um I have always been a believer in the afterlife and ghosts. So for me, this meant you're depressed. You're going to destroy yourself in the living only to be that way stuck as a ghost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether someone believes in spirits or not, for me, I was like, I don't want to be stuck as a ghost feeling this way. And then I have actually no ability to change that. But from there, I decided that I needed to give myself something to look forward to. And I just happened to go online. And at the time, I decided to change everything in my surroundings so that it was different from what I was currently living. That means I changed the type of music I listened to. So I wasn't triggering all these other memories. I redecorated my whole living room. So then I had a project to work on for redecorating and painting. And I booked a concert ticket to go see Brantley Gilbert in Wyoming. So now I have a road trip to look forward to and I have to figure out how to pay for it because I also had to rent a car and get hotels. And, you know, um, so I was like, well, I'm not sure how I'm going to make this happen, but I did. And then every day I worked a little bit harder and I started to get a little less sad and more excited because in six months I had something to look forward to. And 
it's crazy the way it worked out because by the time I reached the road trip date, I had saved up double what I was hoping to for the trip. Um, I ended up stopping at Lewis and Clark caverns along the way. So it was like, then I got a chance to be in the earth and connect and I stopped, you know, at every little place I wanted to stop along the way. So it was a really fun trip. And then the day before this concert, I want to meet and greet with the artist that I was going to see. So I actually got to meet the person who was the reason for me to keep going. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible to me. Like I had such an amazing time and I took a moment to really reflect on that. And I still do. I still think about it, how I went from deciding that I didn't want to live anymore to going, I'm just going to find something to look forward to and being sad and going, yeah, but I got this coming up. I got to hold out for that. I got this. So, and then slowly working my way towards feeling good and having it to such a great experience and then stopping myself to say, I would have missed out on this. I would have missed out on the friends that I made along the way. I was out on meeting someone who became like one of my favorite musical artists. And ever since then, I just really like to take the opportunity to stop myself at certain points and reflect on where I was a few months ago, a year ago, four years ago, and really appreciate the progress I've made. Mm -hmm. It hasn't all been sunshines and rainbows. Like I went through a lot of stuff this year, but I still say that this has been the best year of my life. And I do feel a little bit guilty for saying that because I know a lot of people have not had it great, but just all of the ups and downs that I have had emotionally this year I have made so much growth and I'm so proud of myself that I can't help but feel like this is my best year yet. Yes. Yes. Oh, I think that's beautiful. And I, I understand that, that guilt thing, but you know, we all have our own situations and journeys and the, you know, just because other people might be struggling, doesn't mean we can't be proud of where we're at. It's that comparison, uh, being the thief of joy, you know, there are a few things right. there. I mean, how cool your trip. <laughs> and <making that laughs> It was happen. amazing. Um, but as you were talking about it, I was thinking, you know, you said initially after um, your, I'm not your friend. I'm not sure how to refer to him. It sounds like I'll, I'll go with friend, um, lover. Um past you went into like a deep depression and then went on the busy train in the way that um I think is what maybe for you and I kind of Brian I'm pointing to the book over here like kind of what triggered it like no you don't just get busy like that that doesn't work but then you set an actual goal and Mm -hmm. were busy and that gave you something to pull you out of that you know moving towards depression and oh maybe I want to you know, not be here anymore. So I mean, that's a subtle like difference in busyness, busyness with a purpose versus busyness with a, well, what the purpose is. The other busyness has the purpose of numbing, right? Right. Whereas, yeah, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. The busyness that comes from reaching a goal that has meaning gets us in touch more with um, 
like our real desire and thirst for life. I don't know. Can you riff a little bit on that? Um, I would say for me personally that I spent a lot of years being busy just so I didn't have to sit with myself and my thoughts. Even listening to podcasts or Audible nonstop was a way to not have that quiet space mm. and have to feel. And I'll, I will admit that I'm not perfect. I still do. I went through um, a pretty heartbreaking breakup at the beginning of last year. And I cried so much that I had a clogged tear duct in my eye. This is how devastated I was. And sometimes healing might look like binging nine seasons of just because you don't want to sit with your feelings but you know once fry got a girlfriend and i was like fry got a girlfriend and i'm still alone what's and i was like okay i need to stop <laughs> this is where it's getting a little too much so i made the decision at the time i, I wasn't using better help anymore i had taken a break and i realized that i was trying to numb again and i didn't want to do that i wanted to be able to process this so i started talking to my counselor again and she was talking to me about grief. And this is where I feel like I, I had my biggest push into learning how to process it properly. She sent me this really great link um, that took Loss Foundation. I think it's lossfoundation.org um, or .com, whichever it is. But there was a post that they had found on Reddit. And I would love to read it to you if you have the time for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's written by Siller. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the internet connection is getting a little wonky, but I think we're good now. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Okay, so I found the original Reddit post, and it's by username G Snow, and it says, all right, here goes. I'm old. What that means is that I've survived so far and a lot of people I've known and loved did not. I've lost friends, best friends, acquaintances, coworkers, grandparents, etc. And I can't imagine, or he said, I have no children. I can't imagine the pain it must be to lose a child, but here's my two cents. I wish I could say that you get used to people dying. I never did. I don't want to. It tears a hole through me whenever somebody I love dies, no matter the circumstances, but I don't want it to not matter. I don't want it to be something that just passes. My scars are a testament to the love and the relationship that I have for and with that person. And if the scar is deep, so is the love. So be it. So then the part that really hit me, and this is the part that my counselor had sent me, and this, you may sort of remember my paraphrasing in class that one night about the waves. So this is where I got that. It says, for grief you'll find it comes in waves when the ship is first wrecked you're drowning with wreckage all around you everything floating around you reminds you of the beauty and the magnificence of the ship that was and is no more and all you can do is float you find some piece of the wreckage and you hang on to it for a while maybe it's a physical thing maybe it's a memory a photograph maybe it's a person who is also floating for a while all you can do is float and stay alive in the beginning, the waves are 100 feet tall and crash over you without mercy. They come 10 seconds apart and don't give you time to catch your breath. All you can do is hang on and float. After a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, you'll find that the waves are still 100 feet tall, but they come further apart. When they come, they still crash over you and wipe you out. But in between, you can breathe. You can function. 
You never know what's going to trigger the grief. It might be a song, a picture, a street intersection, the smell of a cup of coffee. It can be just about anything. And when the waves come crashing, but in between waves, there is life. Somewhere down the line, and it's different for everybody, you find that the waves are only 80 feet tall or 50 feet. And while they still come, they're further apart. You can see them coming, an anniversary, birthday, Christmas. You can see it coming for the most part and prepare yourself. And when it washes over you, you know that somehow you will again come out on the other side, soaking wet, sputtering, still hanging on to some tiny piece of the wreckage, but you'll come out. And I just love that. Mm -hmm. So I like to remember that grief does come in waves. And yesterday I was feeling really great. I, you know, I'm very happy right now. And yet when I laid down to go to sleep last night, I had some feelings come up um, from a past relationship that, you know, I, I don't even really think about much anymore, but it was something that had caused me grief and it kind of came back in this little wave up onto my shore. And I, I just took the moment to go, yeah, that was really sad, but I'm okay now. And I don't have to think about it. You know, I, I kind of felt my little bit of feeling there for a second, which was kind of how I had felt about it in the past, but it was stronger. But this time I, I just kind of like on meditation apps when they say, imagine the sky and then you have these thoughts that come by like clouds. You witness them, you can acknowledge that they're there and then you just let them pass. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really practicing doing right now is taking the time to acknowledge that okay, this came up for me. This is how I had felt about it. You know, I may still feel that way, but not so much now. And I can just let it pass mm -hmm. and it may come back, but I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm not okay, but I know that at some point I will be. Right. That, that it, ev everything changes everything. And the time goes on. I think that's a hard thing to to know, to realize, even when you hear it, even when I hear it and I know it, I like, I know this, but when, when I'm in those big waves coming in mm -hmm. the, that perspective that there may not be another wave for a little, you know, a little while can get really lost. Do you have, or have you learned any sort of anchors for keeping that knowing present in moments like that? when the waves are, are bigger. <laughs> yeah, it can be difficult. I mean, with the pandemic this year, all of my coping mechanisms were taken away. Usually I would go to the gym, I would hang out with friends and I would just have those outlets. But I was really forced to sit in my house alone of all things mm -hmm. and just deal with my feelings. And so what I, I had kind of started doing um, for the big waves was just crying. You know, sometimes crying is just such a great release. I think especially if you feel like you have to cry and you hold it in. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Just let it out. Yeah. I have cried. I've gone grocery shopping and then come home and then just sobbed in my car for five minutes before I even go into the house just because it comes up. And I think recognizing those times when these feelings are coming up and just letting them out and feeling no shame about it is one of the things that helps the most. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, gosh, what else did I do? I, I honestly, that, because I had no other, that's, that was one of the things I did the most, but also getting outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really fortunate to live close to a river and it's in a little wooded area. So I have a spot down by the river that I like to go and I just listen to the water flow. And I like to sit on a rock that's in the water, but big enough that I and not get wet. And I like to imagine, I'll close my eyes and I imagine the negative energy coming out of me and going into the water. And then as the river flows, it just takes that away. Mm. And then there have been times where I will, you know, pick up a stone and I will say stone is for such and such. Um, whatever I'm dealing with at the time. And then I throw it because then you have a little bit of, you know, anger release or active. Yeah. You uh, actually get the energy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had heard this folklore recently that I thought was really funny that it was saying, um, if you, it was something about taking and throwing things into the river so that the river fay, like the fairies, naughty little fairies would come and take it away and I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of funny because that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years of just taking these stones and throwing them in the river just to get that energy out and feel like this little piece, this represents whatever and then throwing it and it's gone. So I thought it was funny that there are actually folklores that are kind of based on that same idea. So other people have had this idea clearly. And yeah. and there's probably some evidence that, that doing... Um, little rituals like that can, and can help you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so cool that you tapped into that, like innate wisdom that is, you know, rooted in folklore that the people have been doing for so long. And I do think that there's something to that. I've done emotional release techniques that are just image based, you know, where like you feel the emotion and you, you've got a balloon and you see the balloon and you feel it and then you, you know, let it go or, um, things like that, or put it in a box and tuck it away. Um, Mm -hmm. to actually have a physical object and take that to put the body into it in a way where you can like feel the density of a stone, just when you were Mm -hmm. speaking about it, I was like, Oh, I like that. That feels really good. And the, the water just being around that connection to nature. Nature is like, a, I mean, where our energy is rooted so that um, we don't have to hold it all ourselves. So mm-hmm. yeah, nature is beautiful. There was something, oh, when you spoke about crying in the car and just crying, I'm so jealous. I have, my body was like, I want that. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) teach me how to undam my tears. And that has been, you know, sometimes it comes up. Like I, I picked up water. I'm going to, my water here. And I placed Mm -hmm. it on my nightstand the other night and suddenly just wanted to cry. And I let myself and I was able to. There are other moments when I can feel it and it just tightens up. And it's not there. And it's like, whew, I'm not sure how to move past that. That's where I'm uh, part of my, my journey, my uh, adventure right now. So have you ever 
encountered a block to your tears? Yeah, I had that for a lot of years Uh where I kept trying. Everyone knew me as their strong friends. I always seemed like I had my stuff together and I wouldn't cry about things. You know, I would excuse myself to maybe go into the bathroom at work and and cry it out and then come back and I would be poised and you'd never know anything was wrong with me. And at some point I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I think with you having the dam on your tears, I think when you are ready to, I think you'll just cry. I don't know that there's anything that I'm aware of. There's probably a professional out there who who could better help with this. Um, I think you'll just get to a point that when you're ready, you will. And, you know, you may get to a point like me where sometimes you're just loading the dishwasher and you'll start crying. And there's no reason that uh, two days ago I was having a fine day. And then all of a sudden I realized, Ooh, I kind of feel like I need to cry right now. And then I, I stopped what I was doing and kind of checked in with my body and realize I don't have to, but you know, it's, it's kind of there. So there's something there and I'm not really sure what it is. And I think checking in with yourself is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Do, do you, um, do you find that you, when you cry that sometimes like you don't know why and you don't need to know why? Yeah. Or you try to figure it out. Um, that is such a great question. I don't know that I've really paid attention to that. I know that that's sometimes I will good. just cry. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably good because I, I do the why. And I, I think I put like an expectation on knowing that uh-huh. like stands it up. So sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh no, keep going. I'm interested. Yeah. I, I, I just, Sometimes I think I put like um, an expectation on my tears or like I, they need to have a reason. They need to have a reason for feeling a certain way or, or for, for coming out, you know, which is a reflection, I think, of the expectation that I put on myself that I need to be able to justify just the way I am instead of just accepting that I am the way I am. Yeah, I, gosh, the expectations, I'm so glad you bring that up because I, I actually wanted to bring that up with you. Um, oh, expectations. We, I think going back to society as a whole, we have a lot of expectations of ourselves. And again, whether that's to be strong and I don't have feelings, um, which, which also I think can factor into the way that we have relationships now too, is that a big thing is I don't want to catch feelings and we live in such a way that we're not holding expectations of people, but we secretly are. And I think that can really rob us of a lot of good experiences when we protect ourselves, quote, protect ourselves by not feeling our feelings or not wanting to fall in love because we have an expectation that we're just going to get hurt. And 
So we don't, we don't develop those deeper emotional relationships or loving relationships anymore. And we live in a throwaway society. And then we just really in the end hurt ourselves by doing that. And then I also think with expectations, um, I recently had a conversation with my counselor about them in the way that I needed to have a conversation with someone about, I, I had a relationship end and I felt like the way that it was handled could have been done differently in a more um, respectful and loving way. And so I needed to have a conversation and my counselor had said, well, what do you expect to happen if you have this conversation? What are your expectations of his reaction? Um, what do you need from that in order for you to feel okay? Or what do you want the outcome to be? And so I had to really think about it for a good week. I sat and thought about it and I realized I still need to get this out. I still need to tell him how I feel. Um, and, and my expectation of how I want to be treated. Um, so I thought about, well, what if I don't get this certain reaction from him or what if he's not open to it? Or what if he doesn't even want to have a conversation? Mm -hmm. And I had to agree with myself before even going into that conversation that no matter what happens, I will still be okay. I'm still going to say the things that I need to say. And if I don't get out of it, what I expect to get out of it, I'm still going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, I just needed to say what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And that was that. Mm -hmm. So setting yourself up to, before you go into situations or conversations, setting yourself up to check in and recognize that whatever the outcome is, you're still going to be okay can really help you if it, if it turns out that it, it's not the way you wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a self-responsibility, mm -hmm. self-responsibility to, to know that you will be okay. Not, not because of some outside force, but because you've got you. Yeah. That's a real, um, that's a real practice. <laughs> Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, you sat with it for a week, but I'm thinking how many times, I mean, I'm going through something right now where I'm like, I just kind of want to like make the decision, you know, which is really a, a pushing away in some sense, instead of sitting with the uncomfortable and knowing that whatever happens, it will be okay. Yeah. 2020 was my year of getting comfortable with uncomfortable is how I like to describe it because yeah. I used to be a very reactionary person as far as if something stressful came up, I needed to resolve it right away. I didn't want people mad at me. I didn't want to seem like I was unprofessional, like so many situations where I couldn't just sit and be uncomfortable. I needed a resolve now. Mm -hmm. And that got me into a lot of trouble because then I was not in the right mindset to consider all of the angles for it, all of the different possibilities, maybe even the tone in which I was being told something that made me reactionary. So learning how to slow down. And I think 
part of learning how to slow down was understanding that when I was reactionary, it kind of just made me, you know, say things I didn't mean to say, or I ended up backpedaling a lot. So it was worth it to me to learn how to slow down so that I had less of those instances where I felt, Ooh, shouldn't have said that. Ooh, I may have reacted in anger and I didn't mean to. Um, and, and just sitting with those feelings, considering them and, and not needing a resolve right away. And, and it took a lot of practice. I would have to force myself, okay, don't respond to that email, give it an hour and then you can respond to it. So just starting small with, okay, I recognize that in this moment, I'm feeling angry towards this email that my boss sent me. I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to calm down and then I can respond to it. Or, you know, my friend told me this and, and I'm really sad about it. I'm going to lash out at her, not stop myself there. I'm going to take, take that back, sit with it. Is my friend really trying to hurt me or is that how I'm taking it? I, I think too, that we have to consider other people and, and their relationship to us. Um, and, and I mean that in a way of keeping your like keeping your partner's heart in mind, keeping your heart in mind, keeping your friend's heart in mind, usually their intention for you is good. And you can determine that, you know, by knowing someone, if you know that their intention towards you is usually good, obviously they're not trying to hurt you. So you can take that into consideration when gauging your reaction. Mm -hmm. And that's especially helpful with romantic partners. Uh, He said this and it was really dumb, but I know he loves me. And sometimes he just says dumb stuff. So is he really trying to hurt me in the way that I think he's hurting me? Maybe I'll just calm down, consider it, have a short conversation. Like, uh, what you said was kind of hurtful. So like, let's not do that again. Right. Yeah. Those kind of things. That power of pause and space and trying to understand where the other person is coming from. So powerful. Um, You said that this year was really the year for you to to come into that. Do you think it's because of the sort of the forced isolation from people and the space? So that, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when you said, Oh gosh, I had to do it like alone. And I was kind of like, I want to do it alone. You know, that, <laughs> that space is hard when other people are around. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for so many of us to make those changes in life is because how often are we really truly alone and willing to give us to give ourselves the space because you can be alone and with as connected as we are and how many distractions we are you you cannot have the space like i'm so guilty of that of like numbing out scrolling on my phone and so yeah. like oh hey that hour <laughs> i could have just sat with myself (laughs) and you would feel better so much quicker if we if you just did that but I'm guilty of it too I will numb out I gosh I keep track of my screen time though so I always know the days where I'm feeling off because my screen time will just be astronomical when normally it's it's not that much during the day but I look at that and I go "Ah, I was feeling whatever way that day and I give myself grace. It's okay. If you scrolled Instagram for three hours that day, just to distract, it's fine. Just as long as I'm not doing it every day. 
But sometimes you need to just, like I was saying earlier, watch a bunch of Futurama because it's funny and stupid and it, you know, disconnects your mind from everything else. But when you get to the point of numbing, that's when it's a problem. Well, I think too, there's something like, even with just like binge watching uh, a series or something on Netflix or movies, there can still be an element of connection found in it or of healing found in it. Like you said, oh, when Fry, Fry got a girlfriend, <laughs> like that kind of snapped me out of it, you know, cause like there's connections that can be made. I binge watched like the last two seasons of the 100. Um, a oh, I liked ago. that show. I forgot about it. Oh, so good. I kind of <laughs> feel like we're heading towards it. Like that might be real life at some point. <laughs> as long as we get the cool post-apocalyptic outfits, I'm totally down. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I binge watched that and it was like, it wasn't just totally numbing out. You know, getting to see the relationships, getting to think about life in a different way that was outside of I feel like when there's depression for me or um, that sadness, my lens is so, can be so narrowly focused and taking it to a show was actually really nice because it expanded my worldview and kind of reminded me that like there's, there's more than just that wave right there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know that I get the same effect necessarily from social media. Like I follow some social media that's helpful, but then sometimes it's, that ends up being more of, because it can be so curated, I think, looking at it and going, well, I wish I was happy. I wish, <laughs> you know, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that person still has their dad or, oh, this person, this is a big one coming up for me lately is, you know, friends who are having babies. I'm like, oh, I'll never have that. So I, you know, it's like, ooh, uh, which is good because it shows me I have something to process, I suppose, but it can like put me down. So I think, you know, knowing, knowing what, being mindful of what I consume, how it affects me mm-hmm. uh, is, is an important part of like, whether it's, whether it turns into numbing or healing avoidance or bringing me closer you know yeah, like that's, not all, that's a great way to put it nothing's all good or all bad necessarily yeah and I don't know that I even believe in all good or all bad because yeah had I never gone through the situation like the the negative bad situations that I have I wouldn't be the person I am today I learned so much from the times where I have to process grief or be sad or I struggle or I fail. Like those are the times I'm learning. There are actually times. So uh, one of my hobbies is I write music and poetry and I create art. And there are times where I have like artistic blocks so bad that I will go, man, I just need a good heartbreak. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, those are the times that really fuel my creativity. And I do my best art when I'm sad or depressed because those help me get my emotions out and I take them from inside of me and I put them into a poem or into a painting and I create. It's such a catalyst for me that, you know, some, there are times where I wish that I had ah, just, just a little something to inspire me. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, how many movies and songs and whatnot are about those things? And that's what we're drawn to. I mean, it makes, it makes sense. Um, and I think it's also kind of funny, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, oh, geez, if I could just have something happen. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been fueled by something like that or, you know, even just in spite, if someone tells me I'm incapable of doing something, it will like really kick my butt into gear into proving them wrong. And I don't know why that's the type of person I am, but you know, I, I feel like, um, within the last couple of years, I've, I've kind of been able to let that go and just be like, eh, that's what they think. And they're wrong. But there are some really satisfying times where I will let spite fuel me just to prove to someone that they were wrong about me. Yeah. I've done that. You're not alone. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if it's the healthiest way to handle things, but you know, at, at the end of the day, then whatever task that I complete, I can say that, yeah, that, that situation really sparked me to do that. But the reality is, is I, as Sean says, sat, sat down and did the work or sit right. down and do the work. Yeah. And, you know, you're still responsible for those changes you made or the project you completed or the great job you did. Like you still did all that and you can attribute your motivation for doing that as doing it from a place that maybe isn't the healthiest or spite or anger or whatever it is. Because I think that if you allow that little spark of something to drive you, I don't know. I, I think that it can be a, a great way to get things done. I was going to say, as long as you recognize at the end that you really wanted to do it because it was something you wanted to do. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I don't think it is necessarily unhealthy. Like that emotion is there for a reason. And if you did it because you really wanted to do it, not only because someone said that you couldn't, then, you know, there's that healthy balance. If we're only doing things just because someone says we should or shouldn't, then, then there's an emptiness behind it. But what you're speaking to, I think is like, I don't know. I, I like boil things down to that energy again. The, when the emotion comes up, there's, there's movement, there's flow. And then you're being able to create from that is really, I think important because it's like create and get it out and move it through or it stays inside. And in, in my mythologization is that the right word I don't know of my cancer you know I had all this emotion all this energy all this stuff that wasn't getting externalized either by talking to a friend or moving or um, creating art or you know any anything or even just like throwing up I mean throwing up is getting rid of some energy right and yeah true I was never able well not never but I didn't throw up when I would get nauseous or feel disgusted. I would always hold it all in, which is something after my surgery I had to learn was not okay anymore. Um, so it, it goes somewhere. It goes somewhere and it can go to beautiful art. It can go to conversation and connection and intimate relationship or sharing with community, or it can go to depression and, other ways that people cope, you know, um, alcohol, drugs, or 
overworking out, disconnection with people. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people can choose to numb or acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Or then there's also the like, think of it like that champagne bottle, like, oh, it's all in there. And then somebody comes along and like shakes it a little too much. And it's like, (laughs) oh boy, that was me growing up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was totally me. I would just hold, I bottled my feelings so much and I would just shove it down and shove it down. And then all of a sudden there would be one situation or one, you know, argument with my mom or whatever. And I would just, ah, let it all out. And I, I always imagined myself as a volcano where I just, it bubbled beneath the surface. And then I would just let everything out all at once. And it could have been anger that I was letting out all at once. Or it could have been every reason to cry that I held inside. And then all of a sudden it would just be, now's this explosion of it. And I'm having to deal with all of it at once instead of just dealing with them as they came along. And that, I mean, that's so much harder emotionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm finding myself with all the stuff that I've got going on. It, it comes up in little ways. Um, but I think I'm better at noticing like, okay, this situation provoked something, but it isn't what it's about. So I need to go over here and have these emotions and, and feel it out, but not like, you know, I'm, I'm picturing like little Lacey, like, you know, unleashing my <laughs> mom and like me, um, unleashing my partner, like, okay, this isn't about you. I need to just go and like, get this out. Um, I haven't always had that skill. I was very similar as a kid, bottle it up, ah, let it out. I was sarcastic and passive aggressive, you know, because that was more acceptable than just straight, like fire, anger sort of stuff. I, I honestly, Lacey, when you said that, I was kind of like, really, (laughs) really, you're so like calm and, you know, cheerful and, it's that we don't know what someone has went through and it's, it's surprising and exciting to really know, I think the richness and texture of people's life stories. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It makes me feel nice to know that, um, you know, anyone who knew me back then during those times um, and I, gosh, I identify so hard with you saying sarcastic and passive aggressive, (laughs) Yeah. Um, totally me too. Um, but it's nice to know that I've, I've gotten to a point where someone who doesn't know me or my past doesn't see that. And that's what I was hoping for is to get to a point where that was no longer me. And then going back to grief, there is a little bit of grief involved with, um, I mean, not so much now I I can look back at where I was and be really happy that that's not the person I am. But there are times that I will look at, you know, the sad or depressed teenager or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you have a cat. Have a cat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They just always have to be involved. I love um, cats. He's so sweet. But yeah, going, going back and, and looking at maybe the, the time, for me, it's the time I spent feeling a certain way. And then feeling sad that, oh man, I was really depressed for so many years for this reason, or I was really sad or 
you know, had I just known this little piece of advice, I wouldn't have had to deal with the years of whatever I dealt with. Um, and there is a grieving process for that because I will be like, man, that's really sad. And I'm not that way anymore. Had I known this back then, it could have been different. But I feel like I've really taken the time to grieve those parts of my past self and just trying to tell myself I did the best that I could with the knowledge that I had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, and that's all we can ever do. Um, I, I really want to know if you have any other secrets to not looking back and having that regret. That was something I think that was in, maybe it was Sanko's, was it goals? I forget which book. I think it was Psycho-Cybernetics. Psycho-Cybernetics, about not looking back to the past, you know, and, and just letting it sort of, you know, be. I struggle with this. <laughs> Do you have any, you know, we'll other go further than... into that, if you would. What kind of, tell me about it. Well, with my being sick, you know, getting sick, wow, if I had... <sighs> If I had looked at my scans myself more in depth, if I would have pushed the doctors, if I would have trusted that I saw disease in my belly when I was tripping on mushrooms <laughs> and oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, I was, I don't know if I've shared that on the, the podcast, but yeah, you haven't. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I saw it and I was like freaked out. And my partner was like, you know, we took, we took a drug. It's fine. I didn't understand really the power of psychedelics then. Um, and it always kind of plagued me, but I was somewhat ashamed of it and didn't, you know, I mean, what do you do? Walk into your doctor and be like, Hey, I took some shrooms and walked in the forest. And I saw, I think I've got something rotting in my abdomen. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I didn't know. They bring you the white coat. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let me show you this padded room. Um, so there's regrets. It's like, I, it could have been different. Could have been different. I could have not lost all those organs. I could have a more normal life. Um, and so I can, I can look at it and be like, well, I also learned a lot and I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, but there's anger then at the people who should have known, right? The people who, the doctors who should have listened to me, who shouldn't have shamed me. And um, like my therapist says, like, this is, this is healthy, healthy aggression that I have. Like, and this is, it is, it's true. And then I, that energy then that exists when I feel that, when I'm like, you should have known better. You should have been this. And even towards myself, like, well, I could have paid better attention. I could have been more curious. It's all energy to take and use for moving forward. But I have a tendency to go towards the past and just wish it was different. And I know it's a, well, I'm not accepting what is and all this. And it's, I just need to let it go. <sighs> but I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm in that in between. Maybe I need to go sit on a rock 
in the river or in a river <laughs> and get some little stones and take that. That sounds so appealing. Like you're like, this is for the doctor, the surgeon who told me it was a cyst on my ovary and maybe see if I can hit some other rocks with it. Cause that would feel good. You know what? If Oh, you're freezing. No, where are you going? Don't go Lacey. <laughs> Oh, can you see me? Uh, I see your picture and I heard that. So, okay. Okay. Got me back. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're good. So I think that's a great idea as, as maybe a way to release. And if you want to get a Sharpie to also write down on the rock and then throw it, but also I, I noticed that you say, um, you do grieve and look towards the past, but then you also tell yourself, well, I learned something in the process of that. And I think that is very powerful in recognizing that the ways that this has shaped your life or taught you something or made you a better person. And then also realizing that sometimes stuff just happens and it sucks and it doesn't have to have any reason that it happened. I think a lot of times we try and rationalize bad situations to make it feel like we went through it for a certain reason. And it's okay to not have that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes shitty stuff just happens. Mm -hmm. But I think you have done such a great job of, you know, I, I, I went through my own health issues, certainly not as, as anything in depth or, or bad that you had, but I relate to the doctors not listening to you and you know feeling like I should have done more to get that diagnosis sooner but the reality is that it takes an average of 14 years for a woman to get her diagnosis because there is still such a stigma of hysterical woman wait for and years? you don't know what you're Yes, that is a fact. Yep. Wow. 14 years. When I first saw that act, I was so angry, but I also wasn't surprised because I'm sure from dealing with doctors, they say, well, I went to medical school. Mm -hmm. What do you know about it? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So you just get that. You don't know what you're talking about. Not to mention most doctors don't even schedule the proper amount of time that you would need to talk to them anyway. Yeah. So they're just rushing in and out. And I've worked at a, uh, disease center in a hospital. So I know that people become, I don't want to say immune, but they kind of become numbed to, um, empathy for other people. Mm -hmm. I think because they deal with this so much and you kind of have to harden your heart mm -hmm. so that you aren't taking in all of these feelings all of the time. Totally. And, and I totally understand that. I, I wouldn't like, I don't want to generalize and say that's every healthcare practitioner. I think there is a level of tough skin you have to have to work in that field because they are doing amazing work. I'm just saying that the people I worked for they were not the greatest people. They were very, they were very um, harsh towards the patients and they, they really lacked empathy and compassion. And it was hard to work there. It's one of the reasons I, I chose not to work there anymore. Mm 
Um, I just couldn't stand the, the lack of compassion towards their patients. And, but I know that that's a thing, you know? Yeah. So it's a good point that you make that on some level, they sort of have to, right. Like to cope with that, to be around that much distress and fearfulness and, and whatnot. But if you're going to be in that job of healthcare, you know, it's, it's so detrimental when the providers are so closed off. And I just encounter that time and time again and not being believed. And, oh my gosh, it probably goes back to, to sort of what we were talking about earlier in childhood, not feeling like you have a voice or that you want, mm-hmm. that they can hear you or, you know, I, I know that that's part of it for me. Man, 14 years to get a diagnosis. Yep. I wish I had the source of that information to give to you, but I don't remember. I, I used to do a lot of healthcare research in my spare time just to educate myself because I, I'm sure you're the same way. You never want to be in a position again where you overlook something about your health because you didn't know. So yeah, being up on, on every little nuance or, you know, for me, it's nutrition because I deal with a lot of food allergies. So I know a ton about nutrition and, um, adrenal fatigue and hypothyroidism because I dealt with those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it was during one of those searches that I had found the average diagnosis period for a woman. And then of course it's even longer for a woman of color. And for men, I want to say it is like 10 to 12 years for proper diagnosis. So even men are not immune to the effects of not getting properly diagnosed in an appropriate amount of time. We just have a whole problem with our care system, I think, and how we look at health. I mean, I'm a huge believer in this, that just the way our world works right now doesn't work with our biology. And so the traumas and the emotional stuff that doesn't get dealt with comes out in ways that doctors don't understand like, okay, you broke your arm. Doctors are helpful. You know, you've got a sinus infection. Great. They can help you. Um, but even I think when it comes to the treatment of cancer, I don't have full faith that we're really taking a very good approach. And so, you know, when talking about this, I I feel some like fire coming up I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about you when I feel these things, Lacey. And be like, how am I going to create? What am I going to do? How, how do I take this outside of myself and maybe make it so that it's not 14 years for other people, you know? Yeah. Well, if you want to get fiery, feel free. I am here to listen <laughs> to that. Yeah. And you are welcome to get it out with me. And, and anytime, even if obviously we're not on a podcast, if you ever want to talk about stuff and just need someone to listen, I will totally do that for you. Totally. I've got your number now, so you can expect to, to hear from me. I think oh, great. Sometimes I go into hermit mode. So. <laughs> I trying, totally understand. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, I don't want that to be like, I know it's been it's so important for me to externalize. Marion's helped me a ton with that. She told me that I have to stop keeping my feelings inside. She sent me a message on one of the calls one day and I was like, how did you know? (laughs) (laughs) She's so wonderful, isn't she? She's awesome. I mean, I just love our whole community. 
I really do. I'm so, so glad that like I took the leap to be a part of it and um, that I speak up even when sometimes I don't want to because it's never like I've never felt like I shouldn't have. Well, maybe, maybe once or twice I've been like, did it make sense, you know, but it's never been. Well, see, I've never had an instance listening to you where I felt like, oh, well, why did she say anything? Always have really brilliant things to add to the conversation. So keep doing that. Keep okay. speaking up. I will. See, it's only me. It's only my own like self-judgment that, that goes there. But um, yeah, I'm curious. Lisa, I don't even know. Where are you? Where do I know where, like, where in the world are you? Oh, I'm in Spokane, Washington. Ah, okay. Cool. I'm thinking the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Yeah. (laughs) It's all blue curtain. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about moving. I don't really want to be in Southern California anymore. So I kind of want to like know where people are and like, do you love it there? Do you like Washington? Have you lived yes, it is so gorgeous. I've lived here since 1993. Um, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I was originally born in Billings, Montana. Okay. And then we moved down to Las Vegas, Los Angeles, back up to Billings, and then over to Washington, Spokane. And again, that's one of the reasons that I was such a shy kid is because every single year I was the new kid until I was nine years old or 10 years old. So um because even when I moved here, there was overcrowding in the schools. So I had to go to different schools every year because they didn't have room for the students. And if you were a new student, you were low on the priority. So I was still continually having to be the new kid. Um, but yeah, it's so beautiful up here. When I first moved up here, I was not an outdoorsy person. And in fact, I only really stepped into being an outdoorsy person within the last couple of years because one... I was working too much to even have time to go do that stuff. And two, I'd never even been camping or anything. So I didn't realize I went camping for the first time in June, I think of 2020. It was amazing. Yeah, I got to sleep outside and I really just, I like to say that my heart resides in the mountains with the trees because that is where I really connected with myself and with nature and I have never felt so calm Mm -hmm. as backpacking up a mountain into a forest clearing and sleeping by a lake. There's just something so magical about it. Wait, was like your first camping trip a backpacking camping style thing? Yeah. Way to dive in. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. And I had made the mistake of taking a small cooler with me and let me tell you if there's one thing you don't want to carry up a mountain it is a small cooler so Mm -hmm. mistake I'll never make again but after that my friend and I um, did other camping trips and still backpacking trips yeah Um, I I can't imagine doing it any other way I know people will take campers and and drive in but I really like the solace of just being with a good friend in the middle of the forest and just sitting there and connecting without, you know, cell phones or other people or, you know, it's just, it's so nice. The level of, of peace and quiet out there is, is really magical to me. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming up this summer and we're going to come back. I, I would love that. 
<laughs> yeah. I think you would really like it up here. It's great because it's so close to so many things. We're three hours from Canada. I'm 20 minutes from Idaho and then two hours from Montana and then a couple hours from Oregon. Like there's so many places I can drive to the other side of the state, which is, you know, you have the Pacific ocean right there and the rainforest and to have so many different things mm-hmm. so close within a day's drive. It's, it's crazy. You never get bored. See, I kind of, I feel that way about Southern California where I am, like the desert's close, the mountains are close, um, the ocean's right here, their city, but I don't know. I've been here for almost 17 years. No, almost 18 years. So it's like, I just, you, you, you mentioned earlier, like you changed everything when you were getting through that grief. I feel like with everything that's happened, I like my cancer, my dad, I came back and I've landed in the same place and I'm looking around and I'm going, huh? You know, I'm trying to go back to such the, like the same way of life. Um, I just want to, I kind of want to shake up. I want different. I'm ready. Like, this is it. I've been living this, this way. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've had people suggest like change your entire wardrobe, start eating entirely different foods. Like you said, list, you listen to different music. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Well, and I completely redecorated my house. Like I even got new bedding for my bed. Cause I just needed it to feel like a different environment and moving wasn't an option. Yeah. And I still find myself doing that. Um, I recently redecorated my living room. I think I was telling you guys about that. And I bought a bunch of plants and it was because I was at a different space in my life. And I have been able, I took the photos from my camping trips and my hiking trips all year. And I printed them out and, uh, put them on the wall in nice frames and put my plants up and I collect driftwood for crafts. So I made some driftwood plant holders. And so every time I look at this stuff, it reminds me of this great trip that I had or this memory. And so it's been really nice for me to have those memories and those happy times just ever present on my wall. I can just look at it and be transported back to, to the woods and how I felt during that time. And so I have found that to be a really helpful tool when processing grief or, or just needing to, to feel like I have a change is just kind of changing your, your surroundings in a small way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, please move up here. I think you would love it. Definitely come visit. You're welcome anytime. I just might. I've been thinking about, you know, so it's funny you mentioned that, you know, you love just like backpacking and camping and being out there and I, I've never been backpacking, but we often go car camping and, you know, so it's, it's a little more convenient, but I always kind of laughed at the people with the RVs and now I have one. Um, and I'm like, I don't know, it's kind of convenient. Like I could, I could drive up, you know, drive out to visit and have a place to stay. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, it's such a weird world right now getting a little uh in my head about all the things that I want to think about this has been really really great Lacey thank you Um, thank you so much I've really loved talking to you yeah same same likewise we will we will have more conversations here and together I'm sure I think that you're 
life story is so like interesting. You should write a book. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I've actually been considering it. Yeah. Um, okay. I've, I've kind of found a little passion for writing. And so I've been, I, I actually have a couple blogs. What? Um, yeah, I, I have one that I started when I was sick. And so I, I would write in it to just kind of get stuff out. And then I have a poetry blog. Um, and I ended up making that one private because I, I get pretty deep with my thoughts on that one. But it's a great space for me to get that out. But I think that would be fun to get into a book. You, you just seem like you have such a, I mean, I believe that we're all creative. It's just the extent to which we allow ourselves the time and space um, to, and permission to tap into it but it sounds like you have these outlets that you flow your emotion into and you speak about your emotions and your life so beautifully. I well, thank you. love to read something that you wrote and I want to see some of your crafts. I'm like, Ooh, what? like making things of driftwood. These are things that like I think about and never do. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> locked in that area of creativity I've been doing these morning meditations with my my friend Amy who also had appendix cancer and she's an art teacher and it's just really changed my outlook on just like creativity in general and what I'm putting out and how I allow myself to do it so it's cool to see what other people do and what their relationship is to it you know, like you said, you created these things and put them on your wall. So you remember these trips and I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. So human. Yeah. I think, um, I, I enjoy it. It helps me. I know everyone's different, but I think if you're looking for some sort of change, you might go looking for a creative endeavor and just try stuff until you find something that you like. I never considered myself to be an artist my whole life. I, because I, I never thought I was good enough. And the weird thing is, is that people are trying to buy my artwork now and I don't actually have it up for sale. And it made me realize, Oh, I do art. I don't have to be. And it's such a subjective thing anyway, that I can consider myself an artist because I create, this is art. I am an artist. And so I think that has really helped me too, is because, and, and the, the dumb thing, when I was in high school, I never took art classes because I thought I wasn't good enough to be in there, mm -hmm. which is such a weird concept. Looking mm -hmm. back at that, like, mm -hmm. that's how you learn, take yeah. the classes to get better. And that's what I do now to grow is recognize that I want to learn how to do something. I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to do it so I can get better. Not prevent myself from growing because I think that I'm not worthy of it. So that's been a great thing also is, is learning how an MMA hugely helped me with my self-image and recognizing that I would stand in my own way for a lot and just learning how to get past that. But I would love to see you with your RV if you start a travel blog or a vlog and maybe that would be a good change for you. Just start taking like overnight road trips and then writing about them because the things that you have to say are always so eloquent and lovely. And I would just, I would personally love to see you take an adventure like that. Yeah. That's, that's in my mind. And it's, you know, you mentioned the way that we get in our own way. 
I'm in my way in so many ways right now, but um, <laughs> just for now, just for now, that's where the wave is at and things, things will move. But I do see myself traveling and writing and really having that space. I've, I've craved that like real aloneness. Like I see myself parking somewhere. I can see it. It's like this, like, mesa and there's like this single tree and I'm parked there and it's just me and like nobody else you know maybe a dog I kind of want an RV dog um only because I think an RV cat wouldn't be as intimidating to like other people um but uh yeah and just writing so we'll see what comes of it I would love that for you I would be so excited to see your adventures Cool. And I could totally see you doing that too. Yeah, I've I've heard that. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, I've got to go to the bathroom. So I think this is a good time <laughs> to end it up. Just going to keep All it right. real. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yes. Thank you, Lacey. I will, um, I'll see you tomorrow on our call and I'll um, let you know when I've got this up so um if actually let's do one more thing because i kind of forgot this is going to be out as a podcast um (laughs) do you want people to is there anywhere people follow you do you want to talk about your cbd stuff do you want to point them somewhere sure um i really don't have much of a social media presence but if people would like to follow laced cbd you can find me on instagram at laced underscore CBD. So that's at L-A-C-D underscore CBD. And that probably be the best way to find me there. All right, cool. Well, till, till our next conversation, lots of love to you, Lacey. Thanks for being here and have a good day. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.